Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast. This is the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To learn about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompoundinggazette.com. That's focuscompoundinggazette.com, and enter your email. Once you enter your email, you'll start getting one free 2,000-word stock write-up a week. Andrew and I also manage accounts for clients. To learn more about our managed accounts, email Andrew at info at focuscompounding.com or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. Now here's Andrew with your regularly scheduled podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How is everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding Podcast. Jeff Gann, Focus Compounding Podcast. How's it going today? It's going great, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's not going good, actually. No, No, it's going great. Hope it's going great for everybody else. Thank you so much for tuning in with us. If you are on the podcast side of things, be sure to give us a rating and review. Help spread the word. Show some love. If you are on YouTube, be sure to subscribe. That will notify you every time that we upload a video. So I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with us here today. We're on episode like 105 or something like that. Can you believe that? Yeah, so we should have gone crazy on our hundredth episode. Yeah, we, we may not have even known one. No, we didn't know actually. We didn't know row, until yeah. after the fact. I was like, I yeah. should have had like fireworks going in the background and mm-hmm. just going crazy, but we didn't. We missed it. We'll do it when we have a hundred video episodes. There you go, perfect. So today we're gonna be talking about something that we've never talked about before. Mm-hmm. I really don't think we have interest okay. rates. All right, that's true. I don't think we've ever done an episode about that. Yeah, what what are bottom up guys talking about interest rates? Mm-hmm. I don't know why we're we gonna talk about it, but it's a good topic that we haven't talked about. It's been in the news a little bit more recently because the Fed yes. just cut um, the the rates by point by twenty five basis points. Mm-hmm. So everybody was, um, you know, obviously tweeting and talking about that. It's all over in the newspapers. Donald Trump was very upset. He wished that they would cut more. More, yeah. Um, at at the all time high, he says that the market will shoot up like a rocket if mm-hmm. they cut. Um, you know, so I think that's kind of interesting. I don't think I've ever heard of a president wanting them to raise rates. Yeah, you know, I th- no, I mean, and that makes sense too, right? And he, you know, when he, I guess you could say, was going to benchmark his success against the Dow, mm-hmm. you knew that he was going to do whatever it, it it took, quite honestly, yeah. to whether right or wrong. We're not here to debate that mm-hmm. um, to continue, you know, propping the market up. So another thing I thought was interesting too, yeah. And gosh, we're going to get political here, I guess. Okay, was that when he was. <laughs> Wasn't it when he was campaigning? He said that with the Fed artificially keeping interest rates low, uh-huh. that they're hurting the the earners or like the savers, the savers, baby boomers, people sure. in retirement. Yeah, you know, for yields. Gone mm-hmm. are the days of you retire, you buy some bond for seven percent, and you know, if you retire a million bucks, that's a pretty good life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's how it was when my great grandma retired. Mm-hmm. But you know, he was criticizing the Fed for that, for wanting for them artificially keeping interest rates low. Right. And now he's chirping for them to continue to cut more. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Well, when you're not in office, you yeah. criticize things that are going on. And then when you are in office, you want to make sure that the things that are happening are yeah. good that sure. you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you don't, yeah. When <laughs> when you're not in office, you talk about how America is not great. And then when you, when you are in office, you talk crazy. about how <laughs> things are going well. But it's true for all, all politicians that way. Yeah. Once the, everyone, co- you know, take foreign policy or something, usually every president criticizes some of the foreign policy of their predecessor, and then they adopt the same foreign policy yeah. that they get in, which might be because of what people tell them what's good for, you know, when they learn about all these things when they're in office. But it can also be that you have to find something to criticize when you're not, you know, when you're running and someone asks you a question, you have to come up with a critical answer. Mm-hmm. You can't say, oh, no, I agree with that. What's going on now? It's all good. That's yeah. that's the way it should be. That's vote why I'm running. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm Don't running. vote for me. Vote for that guy. Yeah. He's doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I thought that was interesting. But anyway, so very long-winded. Okay. Uh, let's get to it. So 
Interest rates. Yes. How do you typically factor in interest rates to an investment? So that's a very good question. So the the simplest way is that in theory you should be using some sort of discount rate yeah. to be valuing stocks, uh, and Buffett has talked about this before. In practice, I'm not sure you really do that exactly. But the way that people like to think about it is to use the um, long term government bond or something like that. You often see on TV, I think that newspapers and say that they'll use the ten year government bond. Um, and that will sort of be their discount rate for doing different things. Yeah. And then you add to that for adjusting for risk and things like that. Now, that's not how I do it, but I do compare um, any investment versus the uh, alternatives that you could have. So for us, whether making a decision about buying something or not is the next best alternative of buying more of what we already own or something like yeah. that, which it is for Buffett as well. Uh, in terms of discounting things for stocks, I use the long-term expected return that I have for the S&P 500. And the way you typically think about that is, what do you think is that long-term return? Oh, like around uh, 8 to 10% Yeah. So historically. Now, I don't expect it to return anywhere near that going yeah. forward from here. But historically, I would say that if you are if you look at a stock and you're pretty sure it's going to return less than 8% a year, you shouldn't buy it. Yeah. The and way I think about it was like 7 to 8% and then okay. attack on our fee. So 2.5%. Oh, okay. So you yeah. kind of benchmark it for our clients okay. if it makes sense to invest in that company. Yeah. yeah. And if a stock is likely to return more than 10% a year, that should outperform the S&P 500. Um, that's the simple way of thinking about it. But, of course, the timing is what matters. So in reality, over the last 10 years or something, you would have underperformed with that number. But over the last 20 years, you would have really outperformed by a lot. Yeah. So it because the S&P had a bad first 10 years and then a really good 10 years after that. It isn't very predictable how it uh, has those returns. And that's the problem with interest rates, too. You can use interest rates as discount rates, but the problem is how much they will change over time. And that's a really big problem because you would be adjusting whether it's a good idea to buy something or not based on the fact that, you know, um, if we go back to when Buffett bought Coke or something, you're talking about uh, uh, bonds that were priced at, uh, they're now priced like five times higher or something in that neighborhood for maybe four times higher um, today than they were then. The same amount of coupon is priced by the market at f like $4 or so more than it was. So it's in a sense, if you're looking at like PE ratios, it's as if the market, the bond market is saying that the same amount of interest is worth four times more now than it was, you know, um, uh, now about 30 years ago. Um, and that is something that I think is too difficult to use in uh, your predictions, especially because if you look at things like the Fed funds rate or something, there's very little relationship between what it is today and what it will be in like 15 years or something. So you're buying an asset, a stock, yeah. and a lot of the um, cash flows that you'll be getting are in later years. So a significant amount of the value in a DCF type approach is going to be in later years, like past year 10. And that's a big issue because you have no idea what the interest rates will be in later years, which is when you'd be reinvesting the cash flows. So actually, you might be able to value it today, discounting it, right? Mathematically, you could go into Excel and do this. But you aren't being guaranteed that interest rates will be the same. So your alternatives in buying something else, buying a bond or something, sure. won't be the same. And that's true. If you look at like um, uh, people input into their analysis of like a bank or something, today's Fed funds rate, well, that's good for an analyst trying to model out earnings this year, next year, the year after that. They don't have to go beyond that. But for an investor, a long-term investor, Buffett's owned Wells Fargo since like 30 years ago, um, that's not good because the Fed funds rate will be so different in later years. And you see constantly that it goes from a period where it had some of its lowest 
levels to 15 years later being at some of its highest. You know, and knowing what inflation is today doesn't really help know what it'll be in 15 years. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't. It doesn't. It didn't help it going back the same way. Uh, and people put in today's number, but it isn't useful. And so a long-term average might be more useful. That's one way to think about it. So long-term average inflation, long-term average interest rates, uh, Fed funds rates, whatever rates you happen to be looking at um, might be useful. The S&P 500, same thing. You use a discount rate, the very long-term average, I said like you know 8 to 10% or something, rather than what if it's been up 18% a year for the last 5 or 10 years or something, do you use that rate? You know, yeah, some people think sure. that you're, that like today's interest rates are normal mm-hmm. you know, for the future. But they thought that years ago. If you you have to read a lot of things from a long time ago to get a better sense of that, because they were convinced that you know inflation would never be down to a level of um, a few percent again. You know, um, when inflation was very high and interest rates were very high, no one expected it to return to the level seen right after like World War II or something. But today's levels are like the same as the levels right after World War II. So they went up for thirty years or so, yeah. and then they went down for thirty years or so. You know, the rates. Um, it feels like a huge difference to people because it's a whole investment lifetime. You know, you basically there's just one cycle over an entire person's investment career. Mm-hmm. You know, a professional career will have basically just one cycle in interest rates. That's how long it is. And for stock markets, it's pretty close too, like a really long bull market and then a bear market. You know, whereas the economic cycle is so much shorter that people are used to the idea that there's recessions and there's booms and busts, you know, and it's not something that's permanent. They understand that a recession won't be the last recession they'll ever see sure. or that they understand that there will be a recession again one day. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think about interest rates in relations to, like, actual businesses? I mean, it, lower right. interest rates is probably good for, for companies that, I mean, cheaper debt if they want to take out that. Yeah. And I talked about this um, with you before we recorded, which is that I got a lot of questions about this when I did a – um, normalized PE thing back in like 2006 or something I wrote about on my blog. And um, the thing is that it's in people's perceptions, the Fed deci- sets these things. Yeah. They decide these things. And they do. They vote on it. And that's the decision that's made. But what this person had asked me to do is to look at how changes in the Fed funds rate, um, rate cuts and things like that, had an effect on earnings from public companies. And I said, oh, well, actually looking at this, it's much easier to figure out the reverse, that you can predict better the, what the Fed will do based on what's already happened with corporate earnings. So like right now, as we're recording, this corporate earnings have been down for like a year or two. So in essence, public companies in the U.S. are in a recession, mm-hmm. right? Now, that's not how you define a recession. But if you use that as the definition of a yeah. recession, then you can see that the Fed will cut rates in the future, whereas the Fed can raise rates a lot over time for several years if um, earnings keep going up a lot. So in a sense, it's responsive, right? So you can think that the Fed's doing all these things when in reality, it's responding to different conditions. Yeah, and so that's a big part of it. When we talk about like whether interest rates being low is good for a business or whatever, you have to remember that a lot of times... It's the reverse of what you think. If companies take on a lot of debt and don't earn a lot to service that debt, they will go under unless someone gives them lower interest rates. They need it. We've talked about this especially, I think, in to me right now, the one where it's really obvious is in China right now. China's in a situation where higher rates would be very, and China's rates basically are tied to US rates, would be very bad for their corporate um, sector if they had higher rates. And that's not just because they borrowed a lot. They did borrow a lot, but they borrowed a lot and then they invested in low returning sorts of things. And that's really the key. If a company borrows a lot of um, money and just keeps on the balance sheet, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But if they borrow a lot and then invest in projects, which are 
earning 5% return on their money, yeah. they can't have 6% interest rates. Yeah. You can't do it. You can't finance with all debt and then have returns that are worse than the, what it takes to cover that interest. Sure. And that's when we talk about like zombie firms and all that, which are companies that are just existing to pay their interest. They can't reinvest in things about their business. That's what happened in a lot of places in, in, in um, years ago in Japan and things like that. And it has that threat of happening in places like, in, in, in definitely with some Chinese companies, it will happen because they borrowed a lot of money that they invested invested at levels that are too low versus what interest rates sure. uh, may be in the future, which means either they'll go under uh, or they'll need infusions of cash or something if interest rates rise, or someone has to keep interest rates low to keep them um, producing at the yeah. levels that they are and keep them in business. And you know, But th that's sort of the same thing as we could be talking about energy or something, right? You could find a price at which you'd say, oh, well, if oil prices drop below $40 a barrel for a significant amount of time for this company, they won't survive. Yeah. They need it above that mm -hmm. you know, level. It's exactly the same thing with yeah. companies that borrow. Mm -hmm. If they're investing in things that aren't that high returning, right, that they're getting the cash flows off of, they can't service debt at a higher interest rates. Sure. But lots of companies can service a lot of debt if interest rates are very close to zero. And the problem with corporate ones especially is that a lot of them borrow really short term. And you saw that with the financial crisis and things like that, that it wasn't just borrowing a lot, but borrowing a lot very short term can sometimes have very, very low rates depending on how steep the yield curve is, right? Mm -hmm. So if you look, the rates for like 30-year bonds, corporate bonds and stuff, they don't move around nearly as much as very, very short-term rates. So if companies were using commercial paper and things like that, then that could be much more dangerous. And so I think there's a book that um, Howard Marks wrote on the cycle. Mastering the market cycle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, you could read that to get a better idea of what's important, which is just understanding like these extreme – what you're worried about is things that are, you know, you're not worried about one standard deviation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're worried about three. You know, you're worried about things that happen once in 30 years or beyond. You're worried about things that seem um, like there's more borrowing going on than there, there should be and stuff. I mentioned China. If you look at the last 10 years, the buildup of debt in their corporations has been – the percentage increase has been astronomical. It's been like something I've never seen before. Mm -hmm. That tells you be careful. And that's true. Housing prices in certain countries, you know stay away from that area and that's in terms of investing that's usually the best way to do it is just to understand what things are in an absolute boom what's an absolute bust and to look for opportunities to buy things after a bust yeah. and to avoid things that are in a boom when a, a lot of times when people say well this is normal this will continue to be careful about that today the thing to be careful about is anyone relying on low rates right because even though yeah because even though rates might be going down in yeah. the near term, right? We just had a rate cut. So you could assume, okay, well, rates are more likely to go down than up, and you can see market things that price yeah. that in. Mm -hmm. That's not that important for an investor in a stock. Stocks have get most of their value from very long-term uh, cash flows. So the, the life of a stock in terms of uh, if you're trying to compare it to a bond is extremely long. It's like buying the longest long-term bond you could imagine. Mm -hmm. It's like buying a perpetual bond. So you need to worry more about the long-term average of what's going to happen. Yeah. And it's very easy for companies today to think it's safe to borrow a lot because I can refinance it and I can pay low amounts of interest. Sure. What if it happens that in the future I, I would have to pay a lot for that and I have difficulties? Rise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you can look for opportunities that way. Banks and things. I've seen compared people like just as much the banks that pay 
uh, a lot for CDs and things now relative to the banks that pay almost nothing in, in their non-interest-bearing stuff. Whereas in a higher interest rate environment, um, there would be a big difference between those two banks. But right now they look kind of similar because both banks aren't paying that much for their for their um, de- uh, deposits. But one has a much higher quality deposit than the other one in times of higher interest rates. And, uh, and the same thing's true with borrowing short-term versus long-term. That's a thing to worry about. What people listen to this now, if you're not been investing that long, it's very easy. There hasn't been a recession in a long time, uh-huh. very yeah. long time. And there hasn't really been a contraction of credit. So the last thing that people would remember of that is the financial crisis, sure. which was unusual in a different way. Yeah. So the next time will not look like the financial crisis, but it also won't look like the last 10 years. Uh-huh. Something will happen eventually that will cause people to be a lot more reluctant to lend to certain things, to finance certain things. And we sometimes talk about those a little bit here where um, – IPOs of different things and stuff like that, where they're just so willing to um, finance companies, which wouldn't exist otherwise. Um, I've mentioned before, like WeWork. WeWork is an example of a company that in a different economic environment probably wouldn't, Would work. wouldn't exist. Yeah. It, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the size. The it wouldn't iron. get this funding, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because of that. But that was true. That's true of what built up Amazon. Amazon was able to go public and to have a huge market cap and stuff at a time when the company was very small. And in any other market environment, that wouldn't have happened, you know. Mm-hmm. But that was a mania in dot-com things. Now, there's some things in venture capital stuff, but also just things in terms of ability to borrow um, that that companies have, that a lot of companies can have bonds um, and loans that are traded by banks and things that uh, you wouldn't have in, in normal times. And so it's that that book, I think, is probably pretty good to read that way, although just his memos in general yeah, are, sure. I think, even better than the book. Yeah. yeah, because he worries a lot about um, the cycle. And it's just to be aware of the things that are really unusual. That's the most important one mm-hmm. is, you know, don't invest in that. Oil. It's the extremes. Yeah. yeah. Avoid that oil company when oil is at an all-time high. Yeah. Uh, avoid things that depend on having very, very low interest rates when uh, when that they're that low. Mm-hmm. Don't bet on interest rates one way or the other though because we talk sometimes about how we focus on like overlooked stocks yeah so we'll talk a little about market efficiency in terms of so many people are focused on interest rates right that your abilities to predict it compared to other people is not going to be very good sure it would be much better it's your ability to predict specific things about specific companies so what you definitely don't want to do is uh what i get a lot of emails about which is basically someone says i have so I think rates are going to rise. I think rates are going to fall. I think inflation will be this, whatever. Now I want to find stock ideas based on that. Yeah, yeah. Or, Taking like a top-down approach and then finding right. ideas off that. Or I can't buy this company because um, I'm really worried that the dollar is going to fall, that yeah. this is going to happen. You know, the, those macro things that they have this form this belief about, and then they decide that means I can't invest in this thing or I should look for other things to buy that way. And that's not the right way to do it. The right way to do it is to look in certain areas where things are out of whack. Um, so it's, you know, it, when rates were at zero to 0.25%, yeah. that's the time to look for things that might benefit from higher rates, mm-hmm. just because the likelihood of rates being higher in the very long term is yeah. so high. Yeah. The same thing if, if um, gold or oil or whatever is at an unusually high price. And there are just ways of statistically this works fine. Even if you don't know anything about what's driving things in the prices, if you see levels that are really unusual statistically, just in terms of the variation, in terms of standard deviation and things like that, that, you know, let's say the mean for this is that the Fed funds rate has been 3 to 4% or something. So if you see numbers that are saying 0 or 8 or something, yeah. that's when you start to pay attention to it. Um, and you try to 
the things that happen are when people sort of take what's happening today as if it's going to happen forever. That's usually where the opportunities are. Mm-hmm. That they start to assume, okay, well, the situation now is what it'll be forever. So if you can find something where you'd benefit from like a reversion to the mean, like yeah. the very long-term mean, that that's a really good way of doing it. But don't start and then um, pick from there based on like having an opinion about interest rates. Sure. Like how would you form an opinion about interest rates? I would probably say, oh, interest rates are they're low. They probably can't stay this low forever. Okay. But I mean, you said you read the Wall Street Journal and stuff. There's yeah. a lot about interest rates in there. That's so what what would someone do? Like, would they look at expert opinion on it? Would they? Probably. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean but nowadays you don't know, right? Just look at Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, so the, the way in which people would form opinions just isn't a very good way for getting a better opinion than the group, sure. right? Yeah. So when you're looking at a stock, you might be looking at it differently. You might be reading a 10K that a lot of other people aren't reading. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you might be trying to do that in isolation, learning about the company and everything, and then only later figuring out what people's opinions are about it and stuff like that. You really could ha- form a, a variant opinion that is a- accurate in a way that the market could be wrong about. But I see that as being very hard to do in something like interest rates. Do you spend a lot of time thinking about interest rates? Um, cause I don't think no. about it at all. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I follow along. Obviously I know what's going on, but I don't really think about it. In I don't spend process. as much, I don't spend much not time like banks or anything like that. Right. Where it's more susceptible. Or, I, you know, I don't spend as it. much time looking at interest rates as you'd think. Uh, but I do immediately eliminate ideas. Mm-hmm because of things that have to do with interest rates. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about currency before. Currency is affected by interest rates, be differentials between countries. Um, interest rates also affect uh, certain things, stock prices, but especially land prices a lot um, in different places. And it it does mean that sometimes I say no to things purely because it feels like a bubble. Mm-hmm. And while I don't know if it is exactly a bubble or not and whether it will pop and things like that, um, I'm just going to avoid that area entirely. Where do you think there's a current bubble or things that you would avoid? Um, I would avoid... Well, I would avoid... I would certainly be careful about any countries which are um, relying on... Uh, that can't set their own interest rates. So countries that are using currency pegs to other currencies. Um, they're very sensitive to so what you do is say you have a currency and you want to make sure that that currency doesn't fluctuate on its own yeah. you have a uh you would say okay so this will be for every um you get eight of this local currency for every one dollar you have or something and that's what it'll always be but when you do that you'll notice that the problem is what if your country you think that you should have a one percent interest rate and the u.s starts saying we should have a two percent three percent you now have a problem because you've pegged your currency to their currency. They have to stay at the same level. So you're basically having to import the U.S.'s um, uh, interest rate policy, mm-hmm. which you may not want to do. And I think people might underestimate how serious that can be in some countries. Yeah. If it's held for a really long time, people forget about it, that they're doing that, that people in those countries forget what's happening. And it's not just the U.S., by the way. There are other countries that do that. There's sure. some that are pegged to the euro and things like that. But by agreement. So they they will say, th- and the government will always say that they'll hold the peg and whatever, and they will say that until you know, 1159, the, the night that at midnight, they <laughs> break the peg. But um, those sorts of things are what you have to be careful of because it's something where people take it for granted completely that way. Mm-hmm. And the same thing is true also on anything that's gone for a very, very long time. Like I was talking to someone where um, in a country where basically home prices had 
um, well, the affordability of homes in terms of interest rates in the country had some mortgage rates had basically uh, been making homes more and more affordable for people for the last 22, 23 years consecutively with no declines in that. So prices may have declined a little bit momentarily in like the financial crisis or something. Mm -hmm. But you could if you were had the same job, you could afford a bigger and bigger house every year, basically. Sure. You could afford to pay more and more for your house. What that does, though, is that people start to assume that the um, price of homes will rise. And they don't start to, they don't realize that for the last 25 years, the price of homes has been rising faster than wages. Logically, I'm not sure that you that that's sustainable uh-huh. right that the that wages are what's paying for the home sure. for and but it is sustainable as long as rates are declining so when it reverses it becomes a problem so i would avoid things like that there are certain markets in terms of homes and things i would definitely avoid certain real estate markets in certain countries and you could probably figure that out um by looking into it looking at how unusual it is that's the big thing though is that people don't treat it as unusual so they just look and they assume that any country's real estate market must be the same right they're like oh well i'll value this company on price to book or ebd ebitda or whatever when really one's in a bubble and one's not Mm -hmm. and it's totally different depending on that in the cycle what did what was your opinion of the fed lowering rates did it surprise you or did you have any thoughts about it yeah it never surprised me because they spend so much time telling you ahead of time basically yeah i mean it was already kind of priced in right yeah um, I mean, in terms of like, would it make sense or something? How would I vote and stuff? I have no idea. Yeah. Um, I think I've said before, I know I said to you that it probably rates, if the US didn't trade with the rest of the world and stuff, probably rates would be, need to be higher than they are now. Yeah. And if you were just setting rates for the rest of the world, not the US, probably lower, especially China. China needs lower rates right now. Um, whereas China and the US, I think, are going to need very different interest rates. So eventually. since we're on this topic of macro stuff, what about tariffs? Well, I don't invest in anything that relies on tariffs. Yeah. Uh, so, and some companies benefit from it. Um, and also, don't believe the political stuff you hear in terms of uh, what investments you make. So, for instance, you'll read things that will say something like, "Oh, tariffs are paid for by consumers" or something. Yeah. They might be, but if you're investing in Walmart or Target or something, do not assume that one of them, that all of them together, can raise. Uh, prices because it's not true so what will happen is you know if they could all agree if they could all work it out together that they could raise prices then they would but if anyone in the group thinks that they can benefit by keeping prices the same despite higher uh, tariffs to higher prices for them bringing things in then they won't raise it and so businesses will suffer Mm -hmm. and i read a lot of things where people don't um well i read a lot of things whether it's tax things uh and tariffs of tax or uh anything else like that where they assume that the full amount of the tax is paid by one party really uh-huh. so you know payroll tax or something they say well that's paid by the employer this one is paid by the employee um you know corporate tax cut they think benefits only the corporation and not that corporations might do other things where they will benefit other people or vice versa um and in reality it depends on your competitive situation so like when someone says something about tariffs it, it really depends on the microeconomic structure of the industry that you're in. In certain industries, it's just a benefit to the domestic producers if you have a, a tariff. And it, then their customers suffer from it, right? But in other industries, it's not uh, necessarily just a benefit to them um, because they don't have in place a situation where they could 
um, force someone else to to pay the tax, basically. So it's always talked about as if taxes just hurt yeah, the consumer. Sure. When in reality, it may hurt a lot of the businesses that do things that way. Um, in certain businesses, it would be very disruptive if it were to happen with certain countries. Mm-hmm. So the big ones would be co- uh, companies which buy entirely, in, produce entirely in one uh, low-wage countries and export entirely to high-wage countries where that could happen. So like, you know, a Nike Apple. or something like that. Apple, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I think they're usually it's way exaggerated in terms of the effect that it would have on the businesses. Yeah. And the stock price movements are way too big. Um, I mean, I, I'll give an example. Uh, in term, Because what happens generally is that the hot topic of whatever political thing or something gets all the attention. And that's not usually the most important topic in terms of like figuring out a stock to buy or something. Yeah. China and the US have, you know, tariffs and things. They're in some sort of trade war or lead up to it or coming down from it or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. in the paper all the time. Uh, what's less in the paper is that there is a disease in China killing pigs, right? Infecting pigs and then they're destroying them. However, in terms of your stock picking, the issue with pigs is way more important um, to individual stocks that you could buy or decide not to buy based on that because of the huge difference that will have in, in um, the U.S. sending pigs to China, sending pork to China, and in prices in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Just because of all sorts of factors about, one, how quickly you can respond to that. So life cycle of pig a lot shorter than the business decisions we're talking about with tariffs. Yeah. And just in terms of what the, that will do in prices, it will have huge effects on some U.S. companies. And... I mean, it's in the news, but I don't think it's discussed nearly as much as tariff things, which sometimes for some companies aren't that big. For some, they're big. You know, for Apple or something like that, it could be really big. But for a lot of companies, we're talking about a pretty small impact from tariffs. And um, I think that it makes more sense to worry about the really big things that affect uh, a company. And like I said, that, for instance, like pork or something, that's a much bigger story in the pork industry in the U.S. than tariffs overall. In terms of you picking out particular stocks? Sure. Yeah, I can't think of that many stocks that are so affected by tariffs um, that it's a huge difference for them. Because in general, the thing is, if you, you want to avoid situations where your company that you're looking at investing in is being affected by a tariff that isn't also hitting other companies. Yeah. So it would be th- this situations in which, like, say a company is importing things from China to directly compete against other companies which are producing the same product in the U.S. That's not a very common category. Mm-hmm. I can't think of many things where one company has chosen to import all of their production from China and another company has chosen to produce everything still in the U.S. Mm-hmm. It just it doesn't exist yeah. much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get, like, all the shoes and clothes and things from other countries, but there's almost no one in the U.S. who still produces them. So it doesn't matter in that way. If you had a business model built around importing things, whereas your competitor didn't, it would be devastating to you. But that's not common, you know? Um so, I mean, it's always those competitive things that are more important to to focus on because mm-hmm. if everyone in the industry is being equally affected by it, it doesn't it make kinda, it it doesn't make a huge difference. Yeah. If everyone is import, you know, or it's the reverse, say you're all producing washing machines in the US, well the tariffs all will help you and hurt your competitors mm-hmm. from importing them from other countries. Yeah. No, it's interesting. It's definitely an interesting topic, and both of interest rates and tariffs obviously are in the news every single day. They're so always in the news, yeah. I thought I would ask about it. But cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in to today's podcast. Um, if you like the work we are doing here, feel free to give us a rating and review. Be sure to subscribe to the Focus Compounding Gazette yeah. at focuscompoundinggazette.com. Everything's in the show notes. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in. We'll see you in the next podcast.
Take care. Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To learn about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompoundinggazette.com. That's focuscompoundinggazette.com, and enter your email. Once you enter your email, you'll start getting one free 2,000-word stock right up a week. Andrew and I also manage accounts for clients. To learn more about our managed accounts, email Andrew at info at focuscompounding.com or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. Thanks for listening.